Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we are getting back to basics. We're doing a survey of the foundation of our city's government. The Columbus City Charter is essentially the Columbus Constitution. I sat down with the chair of the last Comprehensive Charter Review Commission, Mr. Mike Curtin, to talk about why we have the structure that we do in Columbus, what makes Columbus different, why the recent charter amendment proposal floundered. We get Mike Curtin's thoughts on our current system and his predictions for the future of council. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored by Little Rock Bar. Little Rock Bar is located at 944 North 4th Street in Italian Village. With 30 beers on tap, Little Rock Bar has happy hour from 4 to 8 every day. Every Tuesday is $3 draft beers all night while you enjoy Rock Your Cock Off Karaoke. Wednesdays is Everybody's a Comedian, hosted by Travis Haywitcher. It's like trivia, but you prove your snark instead of smarts. Info, hours, and upcoming events at littlerockbar.net. Everyone's night should have a little rock. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Mike Curtin, the former associate publisher for the Columbus Dispatch, former state representative for the 17th District, on the occasion of his co-chairing of the Comprehensive Charter Review Commission in 2014. Today we're going to talk about the Columbus City Charter. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, Tim. Thanks for having me. No, thank you so much for making the time. First of all, the Columbus City Charter is essentially the city's constitution. It defines the legal entities under which we're governed and the processes with which those entities use to govern us, correct? That is correct. Talk about, first of all, some of the things that it defines. It says we have a mayor. It says we have a city council. What's the basic lay of the land there? Well, you're correct. The The charter is analogous to the U.S. Constitution or the Ohio Constitution. It is essentially the constitution for the city. It lays out uh, who will be elected, a mayor, a seven-member council, a city attorney, and a city auditor. It specifies the powers and duties of each office. It specifies the qualifications that one must have to run for each of those offices. What are the qualifications needed? I assume that the city attorney has to be an attorney. Yes. Okay. Uh, other than that, it basically asserts that one must be an elector of the city. Okay. You must reside uh, within the city, um, which means you have to be 18 years old and, and an elector. The charter also stipulates how these officers can be removed. If we want to remove them um, by the recall process, we can do that. It specifies how the citizens can take government into their own hands through the initiative process. Okay. Um, and that's what we think of as a ballot issue. Correct. Okay. A citizen-initiated ballot issue. The The charter gives the people the power of the initiative, which is to initiate legislation, the referendum, which is to have an up-or-down vote on 
legislation passed by the council and the recall, which is essentially to impeach one of those elective officers. It stipulates how legislation is to be considered, that it must be considered on three separate days or three separate readings. Okay. It specifies uh, how the uh, mayor's veto uh, power can be exercised. It specifies how council can override uh, that veto. So when you think of a city charter, you really should think of it as you described it as sort of the city's constitution. Yeah. Laying out the duties and powers of the offices, the balance of power, uh, and how money is to be safeguarded, uh, for example, how bonds can be issued, uh, and so forth and so on. What is unique about Columbus? I've frequently heard it said that we have a strong mayoral system. Our city auditor and our city attorney are both independently elected. From my perception, we have a pretty small council for the size of the city that we have. Can you sort of talk about some of those things? Yes. When when the Charter Review Commission uh, was studying our city, and when they decided to come up with... The, and this is yours in 2014? No, this is the one in 1913 and 1914. Oh, okay. That led to the May 1914 vote that produced the charter that we currently have. Okay. The big debate in that commission was whether to have uh, a federal plan, which is a strong mayor and council, which is what we have, or a commission. And, and they did long debated having an 11-member to 15-member commission uh, of people who would essentially hire a specialist, like a city manager, okay, and then hire specialists to run various departments. Uh, that was a very intense argument. They dis- they negotiated and compromised on what is called the federal plan to sort of mirror what we have in Washington. You know, a, a chief executive, you know, the president, mm-hmm. uh, and a legislative body, and so that's what they came up with. Uh, prior to that, we did have uh, a ward system where we had city council members elected by ward, and and, and this commission uh, specified what they thought were a lot of sh- shortcomings of that plan, and so they proposed in the charter going to what they called the federal plan, uh, uh, an elected mayor, strong mayor, a seven-member council with each of the seven members elected at large, and two independently elected office holders, an auditor who would be the chief accounting officer, and an attorney who would be the chief law officer uh, for a strong checks and balances system. And I think what is somewhat unique about Ohio, especially within uh, I'm Columbus, within the state of Ohio, is um, the amount of checks and balances, and to your point, a relatively small council now mm-hmm. for a city that's exceeded 800,000 population and uh, is rapidly headed toward a million population. Do we have evidence of the deliberations from that charter review in 1913? We have newspaper accounts. Okay. Uh, I've not seen minutes okay. of, of, the, uh, of that charter review commission from 1913 and 14, but it was co-chaired by two very notable people. One, uh, William Oxley Thompson, who was then president for the Ohio State University. Yes. And Washington Gladden, who was a renowned um, reformer and a renowned national leader in the progressive movement, who was pastor of the first uh, congregational church. Huh. Um, and those two people co-chaired the uh, review commission and put forward what they thought was a very um, progressive document for its time. What did they view as the shortcomings for the ward system that we were in before? A lot of horse trading, uh, a lot of, uh, we had in the late 1890s, a uh, 15 member council. 
okay. uh, with 12 members elected by wards and three elected at large. Um, at one point, we even had a 38-member council earlier in the 1890s. We had 19 wards, two members per ward for 38 members. Uh, they thought that council— And this was a city of population of— Oh, in the 1890s, uh, I couldn't tell you offhand. I'd okay. have to go look it up. But okay. obviously, it was fairly small. I'm not by, here to quiz you. But. Yeah, by, by today's standards. They saw a corrupt city. They saw a, a city with a lot of vice, uh, especially a lot of houses of prostitution and gambling houses. They saw a, a corrupt police department okay. that was in, in bed, if you will, with the uh, with the uh, leaders of, uh, of these vice enterprises. They saw basically a weak council. Okay. You know, a members by district. Because of its distribution, essentially. Well, members who did not have the entire city's interests at heart. Okay. You know, who were only concerned about their own district and therefore led to a lot of horse trading, a lot of log rolling with other members, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of self-interest, if you will. Um, but they basically saw a city that was not on the move. Uh, compared to other cities. Okay. And so they studied city administration plans from across the country and thought that this plan we have now was what we should go with. Okay. How is it a strong mayoral city? Is it because of that federalist structure, basically? Yes. The mayor, as the, as the chief executive of the executive branch, essentially has a point of authority over uh, all the departments. So he appoints a safety director. He appoints a service director. You know, he appoints, you know, directors of all the city departments. Uh, and so that's uh, a lot of power. That's where that strength lies. To give one elected official. And that's a, uh, unlike a lot of cities that have a city manager form of plan. Mm -hmm. um, we've always had the strong mayor system since 1916. Uh, the executive branch clearly is the dominant branch in, in Columbus because the city is so large and there are so many departments to run. What do you attribute that difference to from our charter system to other cities? Um, or do you have an opinion on it? What do I think are the merits and demerits of, of, yeah. of, of well, okay. when, you're, when you're electing only seven members at large and every voter can vote on each and every one of those seven members, you know, clearly you're incentivizing a member to be beholden to the entire city mm -hmm. and not just to one neighborhood or a, or a congregation of neighborhoods. Uh, I think historically that's been a plus Okay. because if you look at Columbus relative to its peer cities or any cities, quite frankly, in the Midwest or across the country, if on an economic health basis, we're doing awfully well. Mm -hmm. uh, we're envied by, by most cities in Ohio and by lots of cities across the country for our economic health. So clearly the system we have hasn't hurt us. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a downside is when you get as large as we've gotten, it's hard for a one uh, council member among seven mm -hmm. to be in tune and in touch with um, a city as diverse mm -hmm. as we are. These are statutorily part-time council members. Right. Um, most of them uh, are expected to have another job. This is a big burden. Um, it's a lot to put on uh, a member. And the critics of the current system uh, say that um, when you're electing seven members at large in this day and age, it becomes a big money game. Okay. You simply can't break through unless you're part of a party machine, right. unless you're financed by the big money people in town. And there's merit to that argument. Yeah. These are very expensive races. It's hard for the so-called little guy you know, to, uh, to have a chance of getting elected if you're not you know, part of the inside circle that, quite frankly, is uh, very much in tune with the, the chief economic interests of the city. Mm-hmm. 
talk about the Charter Review Commission that you co-chaired in 2014, what it was tasked with, and what changes you guys actually made. It was the last time that there was a comprehensive review of the Charter. We had a five-member commission appointed by the mayor and the city council uh, to review the entirety of the Charter from start to finish and to make recommendations uh, to council to go to uh, the electorate with some um, updates. Uh, it had been many years since there had been a uh, thorough review of the charter. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we recommended, quite frankly, was getting old antiquated language out okay. and update the- uh, Simply cleaning house, if you will. Cleaning house. I mean, for example, the, the recall procedure that was, uh, that was uh, in the charter uh, before the fall of 2014 required that anyone uh, wanting to recall a city official had to post uh, notices of recall in all the firehouses of the city. Uh, well, the firehouses of the city back in the day were, were gathering places where people right. would go to read the bulletin board and so forth. Well, that was clearly a, an outdated you know, mode of, uh, of recalling an elected official. So most of what we recommended and the voters adopted in, in 2014 in, in three ballot issues that packaged uh, about 14 or 15 uh, items to total uh, were, were cleanup mechanisms okay. more than anything else and streamlining mechanisms and making sure that if you wanted to take advantage um, uh, of the initiative or uh, the recall that there was a streamlined way to do it. The voters also approved a recommendation we made uh, for judging the incapacity of a elected official. Uh, our mayor or council members or auditor or attorney, if they became incapacitated okay. you know, physically or mentally, there was no mechanism in the charter. It just basically said incapacitated and that wasn't defined? There was no defined process okay. for how their colleagues could, could deal with that. Just inca- out of interest, what is the process for that? I would have to go back and read <laughs> the, the charter. It basically uh, uses a probate-like procedure Okay. There to be an independent evaluation of the competency of the member. Let's assume, for example, uh, God forbid that we had a, uh, a long-serving elected official who um, uh, became senile, had um, something like Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. uh, and didn't know it. And insisted on remaining. And insisted on remaining. Right. Uh, we now have in the charter a provision you know, whereby that elected officer could be evaluated. Gotcha. And if need be, we, we could take that person out. Now, what about a recall? Has that ever happened in Columbus? I am not aware of an actual recall having happened. It certainly hasn't happened in modern times. Okay. What is the process for it? You circulate petitions. You gather signatures of registered voters um, of a certain threshold. And once you gather enough signatures and they are validated by the Board of Elections, you can basically have a a measure go on the ballot that simply says, should this elected official be uh, retained or not retained? It's essentially the same as a citizen-led ballot initiative. It, it is. It's a, a, it's a citizen-led um, impeachment procedure, basically. Well, and it doesn't have to define this is why. It, it simply is a, a confidence vote, right? That is correct. If you think somebody is doing a horrible job, if you think somebody is um, deaf to the the concerns of the of the electorate, you can circulate a recall petition, and if you get a sufficient number of signatures, get it on the ballot and have an up or down vote on whether that person continues in office. I want to get into sort of the district versus ward system. We're sitting down here literally the day after city council tabled their previous initiative as recommended by this last year's 
uh, Charter Review Commission. But I want to talk about first, how does the charter review process work? There are open meetings, but how do you sort of address those the issues? Do you just sort of do a reading and then bring in experts to consult with? Well, the most recent review of the charter was by a committee and not a commission. And the distinction being the committee that recommended we change the structure for city council was charged with reviewing only section three of the charter. Got it. Section three of the charter is the section on the legislative branch and how, how it's composed. So that wasn't a full commission that looked at the entire charter. I see. Okay. It, it was a committee tasked only with looking at section three. Okay. And uh, that committee saw merit in retaining at-large elections, allowing every voter to vote for every council member, mm-hmm. but also thought there was merit in having council members uh, essentially keenly focused on one district. Mm-hmm. And so that committee recommended expanding the current council from seven members to nine right? Um, and requiring each of those nine to come from a specific district. So it was essentially a proposal to create a residency requirement mm-hmm. whereby you would have to reside within one of these nine districts to be able to uh, run for that district seat on council. But once you qualified for the ballot through the primary, then uh, you would actually be voted on by every uh, voter in the city. Right. So it was sort of a hybrid uh, proposal. And there aren't, there aren't many of these. There are a few of these out west, uh, I believe in Arizona and maybe one other western state. Mm-hmm. So it was an um, interesting proposal, and council clearly was divided by it. It's my understanding that um, four members uh, were ready to vote to put it on the ballot, and three members were not. Okay. And so there was still a lot of division within council. Uh, about the the merits of going forward now and so rather than having a four three vote and, and showing that kind of split right uh, they decided to go back to the kitchen and try to um, have a deeper look well in my time it is a pretty united council at least since the mid 1990s it, it is and depending on your view that can be a strength or a weakness mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the folks who um who are the harshest critics of this council, you know, believed it's it's too cocooned, that they, 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 they work in cahoots too much, that uh, showing some division, showing some difference of opinion when it comes to vote on things is healthy, mm-hmm. not unhealthy, and that we should have a little bit more of a, um, you know, healthy debate in front of the public on these yeah. measures. Uh, rather well, because it's what brings those issues to the fore, right? If you're simply presenting a one-sided argument, you're not discussing the other side of it. And if you're not an elected official, is the Columbus Dispatch going to go out and try to get a quote from the other side? Well, on this issue, I believe the Dispatch has. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do believe that um, uh, people like Will Petrick, who's running for council this fall, Mm -hmm. uh, people like Jonathan Beard, who has sponsored and who has spearheaded uh, initiatives to change the composition of council in the past. Which many would argue is the reason why this committee came Sure. About in the first oh, place. Oh, absolutely. I think I think the work you know done by the Jonathan Beards and the Will Petricks and others, who are the, among the harshest critics of the current composition of council, mm-hmm. uh, clearly that spurred uh, council wanting to to give this issue a thorough review, uh, invite as many voices in as possible, and uh, see where the discussion led. Right. It's obvious from reading the paper that this process has not pacified uh, those critics no. at all. They still see it as a totally inside baseball game 
and uh, they would like to, uh, to go to a true district system. Mm-hmm. We'll see where that goes. I mean, as you know, it was on the ballot in August of 2016 yeah. in a special election, which was unfortunate because you only had about a 9% turnout right. that election. But it went down about 72 to 28. And so if one Were is you a, surprised by that? Somewhat. Okay. I, I, was, I was blown away that through a special election, there was so much of an anti-vote. Yeah. Well, um, there was a there was a campaign conducted against it. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't much money, uh, so, you know, in a campaign to support it. Uh, and usually, in, in special elections, your 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 hardest core voters come out, and those are people who tend to be more aligned with the status quo. I think. Okay. Um, and quite frankly, and I've been in Columbus for sixty five years, you know, all of my life, and uh, I I've not seen a organic you know, authentic grassroots impetus out there for change. You know, mm-hmm. where's, where's the voice for change? It's, it's fairly small, if you ask me. It's not broad-based. And so if one's trying to defend the status quo, and I'm not, I mean, I think any, any system can work. Right. It, it, the real question is who you elect right. to, uh, to make that system work. Any system can work, and cities across the country show that any system can work. It's really, I think, what type of behavior do you want to incentivize? Mm-hmm. Uh, different systems incentivize different behaviors. What is the process that that committee and your commission went through to to evaluate? Do you benchmark against other cities? Yes, the commission I was on met for over a four-month period and through city council staff commissioned a lot of research okay. to show how we compared and contrasted with other cities in Ohio and other cities across the country. Um, in terms of the major provisions of the charter. So it was a deep dive, and uh, we, we read reams and reams of uh, research documents and considering what we might recommend in the way of change. The current uh, committee, or the recently uh, impaneled committee, only looked at the composition of council. Right. And they held hearings throughout the city, uh, most of which were very, very poorly attended. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to a couple of them, and you know there were maybe a handful of people in the audience. Okay, which again speaks to my earlier point of you know where's the where is this grassroots uprising? Yeah, where where is the call for change? It's it's fairly uh, narrow and deep as mm-hmm. opposed to being widespread, I think. And so that's one of the things that's given pause to this council, I believe. You know. Uh, there's a debate going on, I think, over there at uh, 90 West Broad uh-huh. over who are we responding to? You know, is there really a momentum out there for change or are we just going through all of this to um, uh, to supplicate a couple of people? Yeah. 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 Can I ask your commission while it was seated in order to I think the stated intention was to simply update a lot of the language that was in the charter. Why you guys didn't make more changes to it? Or was that simply not part of what you were impaneled to do? We were not asked to recommend specific changes. Okay. Uh, we did, uh, quite frankly, shy away from the question of composition of council okay. because we knew that was on a separate track. You know, we knew that uh, there were... Uh, Even in 2014? Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, you know, we knew there were efforts being made to um, qualify an initiative for the ballot. And so we thought, well, that's going to take care of itself. Okay. It looked as though the momentum was there from this group to qualify an initiative. And rather than, you know, get in its way, right. or rather than look like we were trying to compete with it, let that 
effort run its course. Or preempt it, really. Yeah, we didn't want to preempt it. Right. You know, we really didn't want to um, look as though we were a vehicle for trying to neuter you know, that, that effort. Um, that was running on a separate track. So we, we shied away from it. And we really focused on recommendations that we thought would you know, clean up a nearly century-old document. There were a lot of cobwebs. Right. There was a lot of arcane language. There was a lot of sexist language. Okay. Um, referring to he's all the time. Right. You have to remember this charter predated women having the vote. Right. Uh, women didn't get the vote until 1920. This charter uh, was voted on in 1914. Mm-hmm. So there was just a lot of old uh, cobwebs to clean out, quite frankly, and that's what we did. There, there was a lot we did not need to change. Okay. You know, one of the beauties of our city charter is a lot of it has served us well for a century. I would argue that having an independently elected city attorney okay. is a huge advantage for Columbus. Talk about what the virtue of that is. Uh, a city attorney who is beholden to the voters and not to the mayor or council. Mm-hmm. In most cities, the chief legal officer is an appointee of the mayor and so can be instructed to work for the mayor yes can be instructed to do this and not do that our city attorney as an independently elected office holder is beholden to the electorate and if he has to deliver some unwelcome news to the mayor he can do it or she can do it we've had both male and female city attorneys same thing with the city auditor we haven't had a female city auditor but the city auditor by charter is a chief accounting officer uh, of the city and Hugh Dorian, who's filled that role now for a half century, mm-hmm. is famously independent for letting both Republican and Democratic mayors over his long tenure know when he disagreed with them. Okay. You know, for example, when Tom Moody uh, in the 1970s was hell-bent on getting a trash-burning power plant, okay. which went on to be the biggest white elephant that this city has ever sponsored. Okay. Because the thing never worked right. It was a, it was a multi, multi, hundreds of millions of, millions of dollar boondoggle. You know, Hugh Dorian, a city auditor, was saying, I oppose this because it's not financially stable. Okay. And it's not financially proven. And I think we're making an awfully big bet here that we're likely to lose. But in the end, the mayor can push that through if well, they the want. Well, mayor, the mayor put a bond issue on the ballot um, that the voters approved mm-hmm. uh, in 1977, which paved the way for the construction of a trash burning power plant that never worked. Okay. And... Uh, a city auditor or, or a chief accounting officer appointed by the mayor would never have had the independence and the um, cojones, if you will, you know, to uh, say, Mayor, I disagree with you, and to publicly disagree. Right. The public never would have heard about it. The basically. public never would have heard about that. Right. And so uh, whether it was a trash-burning power plant or whether it was Hugh Doring uh, publicly uh, informing Mayor Coleman a few years ago, they were spending money too fast. Okay. You know, we had a city income tax in, tax increase in 2009 mm-hmm. when it went from 2% to 2.5% of the city income tax. And after uh, several years, uh, City Auditor Dorian wrote a memo to the mayor, which of course became public and public be- record, beca- right? Became a uh, story on the front page of the dispatch saying we're burning through this money awfully quickly, and if, if you're not careful, we'll have spent this entire increase in a matter of a few years. And that was a wake-up call to the mayor. It was a wake-up call to the city. And quite frankly, it prompted a uh, expenditure review committee to uh, start um, looking at how they could curtail the increase in city general fund spending. If you don't have an independent chief accounting officer, that mm-hmm. never would have happened. So those are two examples where Columbus is very well served by this charter and those two independently elected offices. Have there been 
public conflicts between the city attorney and the mayor? Um, there have been some. They are usually behind the scenes okay. and not public because the city attorney has a legal fiduciary obligation to his clients. His clients are the uh, other city officials. Right. The city attorney you know, represents the mayor just like an, a private attorney would represent you. Right. And so even though that attorney is beholden to the, to the voters, that city attorney also has a uh, legal fiduciary obligation to the mayor, to council, to not go out of his way, you know, to embarrass them. Right. So there's, he must walk a line. Right. On the one hand, being independent. On the other hand, advising his clients in a way that is in their best interest. And so it's rare to have a real big public clash between your city attorney and your other city office holders. If you had a crystal ball, do you think that there will be significant changes to the charter, let's say within the next five years, and specifically to the composition of council? I think we'll see a change within the next five years Okay. Uh, of one kind or another, simply because a seven-member part-time at-large council has a hard time representing a city that's rapidly approaching one million people. Mm -hmm. it, it's, there has to be some give one way or another. I, I believe the council will either grow to nine or eleven members and, and remain at large. Okay. Or there will, or it will grow and we will have sort of some sort of hybrid plan that combines districts with at large. But everything changes over time. It may take a hundred years for things to change, as yeah. it has in this case. But it's hard for me to envision a seven-member at-large council being in place 5, 10, 20 years from now. Do you think that there's better ways or different ways, speaking to you with your background, both as a public official from the 17th House District and from your background at the dispatch, are there things that you believe council should be doing to address some of the, the pain points that were brought up in the citizen-led ballot issue in 2016? Like neighborhoods not getting the attention they deserve well i think one thing we can do and a number of people have discussed this is to strengthen the area commissions mm -hmm. um, columbus has had a network of area commissions going back to the 1970s uh, a city with the kind of size and diversity that columbus has uh, needs many councils if you will which mm -hmm. area commissions are right to focus specifically on uh, the needs the strengths and weaknesses of those areas but they are simply tasked with making recommendations to council they 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 only have recommending authority but some of those commissions are extremely influential mm -hmm. the clintonville area commission for example long has been extremely influential if you're a developer wanting to develop something in clintonville you don't want to run afoul of the clintonville area commission right you know they make recommendations that are taken very seriously by city council and the mayor um, other areas of town have had um, mixed success with commissions, some with strong commissions, some with weak, and some with or don't even have commissions now. Right. But I think um, a bona fide, authentic attempt to make sure that each area of town has a civic body, mm -hmm. an area commission, a civic association that has uh, real power, that has a recommending authority that's taken seriously by City Hall, uh, is one way. Uh, in a, a time-proven way, mm -hmm. you know, to address local, local needs, if you will. Right. And if we do get to councils by district at some point, I would hope that the boundaries of those council districts would be coterminous, okay. would be in sync, 
with boundaries of a number of these area commissions and civic associations. It would make no sense to balkanize the city to have council districts that weren't in conformance right. with neighborhood you know, commission and area commission uh, districts. I think great care should be taken if and when we have council by districts to make sure those districts uh, align with each other so uh, we don't have a gerrymandering at the city level. Absolutely. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a privilege. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite civil servant. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.